Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. So you've seen the title of the show today. Why Le Mans is the greatest race in motorsport. And we, when we sat down to talk about this, we thought, well, when should we put it out? When should we? Because we were recording this a couple of weekends in advance. We're very kindly, our friends at Brands Hatch invited us back. We needed a venue that all three of us could get to. And this this seemed to fit the bill. So thank you. We're looking forward to coming back here, actually, uh, uh, in a few weeks' time. Our chief editor, Kevin Turner, our first guest on the podcast. Uh, we're doing some live podcasts as well at Brands Hatch. Yeah, that's going, to, fun. that's going to be about super touring because they're having a big uh, super touring power, I think they're calling it, to throw back to some of the 1990s stuff. I think they're going to have old PlayStations and stuff with the old Toker games, I believe, as well. It's going to be, they've got, I think they've got already about 30 to 40 odd super tours coming over. Most of them will be in the one of the races uh, and they're getting some of the old legends back as well. So hopefully uh, me, you, perhaps yeah. Marcus Simmons will be doing some interviews and chats on the stage with some various tin top legends yeah we're looking really looking forward to uh, to that if you're coming along we'll see you uh, we'll be on stage to do some uh, live podcasts uh, so yes thank you to brands hatch for inviting us back you can maybe hear some cars going around uh, in the background and we picked the right person to invite onto a podcast called why Le Mans is the greatest race uh, and that is gary watkins thank you for coming coming back on so you won't have to think too hard about this one because you've got plenty of arguments about why it is so good. Well, I have been there uh, a lot of times. This year will be my 33rd time. Which 33rd is, which is, time. Which is frightening because it's a big number. Uh, incidentally, the same number of times that the record holder for the most number of participations, uh, Henri Pescarolo, has. But also because... He's won it more times than you, hasn't he? Well, he has actually. <laughs> just, just, just the four times more than me. Uh, but uh, the more worrying thing for me is that this is only the 91st running of Le Mans, you know, uh, World War, uh, mm. the odd missing race in uh, uh, the 30s because of general strikes. So, yeah, so we've had it's the centenary running of the event, but there's only been 91 editions and I've been to more than a third of them. I, I, I don't I, I don't actually can't get that. 
Well, this is this is why you're here. This is why this is why we've got you. Now, look, there are many many places that we could start, and uh, I'm sure. Like, I, I I did write down a a brief running order for this, but this podcast will go where it goes with two of the most uh, passionate uh, fans of the event on the podcast uh, and myself, a a keen observer, I would say. Well, keen to learn a lot more. Uh, If like you, you're in the same boat as me, then stick around, stay tuned, and this is going to be a good one. Gentlemen, let's start with length, not the actual, not the 24 hours. Nuts, but I want to go what you were just saying, a segue off uh, the fact that it's been around so long and just the length of this event. Uh, there aren't many racing events that can boast such a heritage. Let's start there. One of the reasons why this is so good is that the event's been around a long time. And because of that, there are very few events where you can find this atmosphere. Before we get on to atmosphere, because I think that's a whole topic uh, I mean, we can start. Itself. We can we can start with the, the the centenary. Well, yeah, it's the centenary. We should we should be talking about that because a hundred. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if they're going to get a uh, if the ACO president Pierre Fion is going to get a telegram from Prince Charles uh, for the race <laughs> for getting a hundred. Uh, King know. Charles now. Uh, what did I call him? Prince. Sorry. Oh, muscle memory. King Charles. Yeah. <laughs> King Charles. Um, it's momentous, isn't it? And and the most amazing thing about uh, Le Mans hitting this anniversary, its 100th birthday, is that it's got this amazing grid of cars at the start of uh, a new era. So, you know, we've got five manufacturers on the grid competing for the outright, along with a couple of sort of garageists, I would mm. say. So just in case you don't know who they are, Toyota, the sort of incumbent kings of Le Mans, Ferrari coming back after 50 years, Porsche coming back after five years, Peugeot coming back after uh, 11 years, and Cadillac coming back after 20 years. If, if my maths might be slightly out on a couple of those, but, but they're, they're in the ballpark. And then we have Van Wall, a, a great name, obviously uh, the connection with the real Van Wall Formula One team, the 50s is is a bit tenuous and then we have Glickenhaus which is is a great name you know it's sort of built a big following in a short time and then you know this is the start of the era when the Le Mans hypercars are joined by the LMDH cars in what is slightly confusingly to my mind called the hypercar class and then next year we have BMW who are already competing in IMSA over in North America and we also have Alpine you know the Renault brand and we have Lamborghini potentially we'll have a car that may or may not be called an Acura the one that's competing in uh, IMSA at the moment could be called a Honda who knows fingers crossed that uh, that that happens so you know we are entering in a magic into a magic uh, moment in history and it's just great that it's happened in the centenary year it's sort of it's it's actually it's 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 a happy coincidence actually because what we shouldn't forget is that when lmdh you know the, the great momentous day at daytona 2020 when lmdh was announced as this sort of you know convergence as they called it when we were going to have a common set of regulations for the WEC and for the um IMSA Sports Car Championship, LMDH was originally due to come on stream in 2022. I mean, that was a bit optimistic, Hmm. uh, I felt at the time. And obviously COVID sort of came along straight afterwards. And so it became doubly uh, optimistic. Uh, So it is a happy coincidence. Uh, 
but it's great isn't it you know that we've got all these manufacturers you know it's the high watermark really in manufacturer participation at Le Mans uh, we and we should be uh, should be happy that it's happening in this century centenary year and you know history is important isn't it history you know, it brings a gravitas to yes, events, it does, doesn't, doesn't it? it? It's like the Monaco, you know, the Monaco Grand Prix, or even the British Grand Prix. You know, British Grand Prix dates back to 1948. Unfortunately, it's not here at Brands Hatch anymore, as it used to be every other oh, year. Oh, I don't think modern Formula One cars would fit around <laughs> these No, I know, I know, but you know, as great, some, great place though it is. As someone who saw his first British Grand Prix here in 1978, you know, and who was brought up down the road, I am, I make, I make no bones about it, biased, and I think that. The Brands Hatch Grand Prix circuit is the best circuit in the world, and, will, and I will never be dissuaded of that opinion. I mean, as an aside, the mind boggles because I think peak Nelson Piquet was clocked at 176 miles an hour just before hitting the brakes for Paddock, so just a few yards yeah, away there, from the yeah. Now, if you think how narrow the track is, really, and how short the straight is, how short the, and mm. and the corner that's coming up, Paddock is yeah. pretty fit. That is. I mean, that's scary stuff, that. I mean, fair play. So anyway, what well, all I'm saying is that history is important and we should never forget about history. Uh, and it it adds gravitas. It, it's a foundation stone on which, which the mystique mm. of the event uh, is built. You know, there's just so many tales of Le Mans, aren't there, yeah. over the years. And, and you feel it when you go, I think. You, it's the same as Monza, actually. You get it there as well, mm. I think. When you go... you. If you do it sounds such a cliche and can you smell it you, I can uh, smell yeah, history you I sort think of feel like you're in the same place that this happened and that happened mm. you know races and and performances drives failures victories that happened and it just it, it just gets added on layer and layer each year it's it's just you know and let's not fantastic. forget mm. that some of those grandstands opposite the pits date back to the 50s uh, or you know the the big uh the big sort of tribune where the press office used to be until the late 80s outside, you know, so benches open to the elements. That was there in 1955, the year of the disaster. I remember having a discussion with someone who uh, a lot of our sort of dedicated Le Mans uh, fans who who read the magazine and the website will, will have heard of, a guy called Alan Berto, who latterly was a sort of rules boss of the ACO uh, he raced at Le Mans uh, multiple times he was sort of race director well, I, I, he was probably called clerk of the course or something like that before the term race director had been invented but he started out as a journalist and his very first Le Mans was 55 and he was sitting in the tribune when he saw those tragic events you know the death of more than 80 people unfold in front of him and he said you know he was just churning out copy for hours and hours and didn't leave his uh, didn't leave his seat now how he filed the copy I don't know in those days you know I guess it would have been phoned down the line or something like that well it could only have been phoned down the line or some kind of courier system but anyway yeah so so yeah let's not forget that some of the buildings that we take for granted now or even you know the terracing in front of the pits you know you can look back to pictures in the immediate post-war period and see see that terracing mm-hmm. you know you know and obviously a lot of the corners are unchanged because they're public road but actually <laughs> not that many actually if you think about it not that many corners are unchanged 
but some of them are you know take Arnage you know a public road a, a piece of public road that is that is unchanged well that's that's actually a good point isn't it in terms of how it's changed over the years like any great event whether you're looking back at the you know Indianapolis 500 not much to to change there but you look back at Monaco yeah they took out the bricks okay. though, didn't they? <laughs> okay, yeah because I've got one at home <laughs> And uh, but you look at Monaco, and that is that that the same picture can be taken from the same place, and it's it's changed, it's evolved over over the years, but not drastically. Um, Kev, how has the layout of the track changed over the years? All three of those, the essence of the events have stayed the same. That 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 gives you a line of continuity, even though there have been detail changes. I think that a, mm. a person seeing the first Indy 500 in 1911 would recognise it now. Ditto Le Mans and the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, the track used to be longer, used to go... Um, right into town. Yeah, into town. Uh, I think it was about 10, 10 miles, I think. 10 yeah, well, to the Pont Lowe. Uh, that's right. That, not yeah. very well, uh, that's, excuse my pronunciation, but it's a hairpin, a tight hairpin, deep into the city. It, it, it really was tight as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but once they cut, they cut that off quite early. Yes. I remember the exact year. So it's, uh, it's, in, the twen- in, in the 20s in, in still, because the there is a, they sort of squared off the top and... The, the road that the sort of squared off road is uh, is you can still drive that it's just like a residential street now and it has it has a name that alludes to it being part of the track but I think apart from that I suppose you know it stayed pretty consistent I guess the big change is obviously the Porsche curves being put in and the chicanes on the Mulsanne straight I guess they're the two biggest changes but again if you look at pictures of cars coming out of Turt Rouge onto the Mulsanne in the 50s and 60s you it, you recognize it you know and, and that's true of a lot Arnage is a great example because that really does that really does look the same pictures of the Bentleys coming in the 20s coming down to their braking and it, it you reckon you recognize that piece of road so yes it's changed and obviously the facilities have got much better and all that sort of stuff like all venues but I, I think that you know the piece of asphalt the important bit I would argue has, has, has changed relatively little in a century I would argue yeah yep. including you know, four miles of the Molesand Strait, you know, yeah. has, uh, okay, we've got two chicanes in it, but it's still, it's still an important highway, not as important as it used to be, because they, it used to be the main road from the cities of Le Mans and Tours, but since they built the motorway, this century actually, uh, it's not the main road anymore, so there's fewer trucks on it, and so it's less rutted, I'm told. Okay. Well, I'll come on next to what people might have thought I was talking about at the beginning in terms of the length of the race, which is that it's endurance, that it's not a, a two or a six or a 12 hour race, but simply the length of time that you go racing. There is something special about race cars at night, whether it's their own headlights or under under floodlights. It's the length of the event which makes it such a challenge to compete, to have machinery that will go the way competitively. And then that leads into how you drive it if you want the machinery to last and and to be sympathetic to to, to what you're driving. So let's talk a little bit about the just simply the fact that it is that it is so long and that it is such a, a commitment to decide we're going to turn up there and we're going to try and win this event and that you've got to produce something really special to go the distance. Well, I mean, it wasn't going to be a 24-hour race to start with. I think the very first suggestion was eight hours. So it came out of a conversation with uh, Charles Ferreau, the influential editor of uh, La Vie Automobile magazine, Emile Coquille, who is the French concessionaire for the Rod Whitworth uh, British Manufacturing Company, who'd actually been involved in sponsorship of other events, um, and they they then uh, went to Georges Durand, who was the uh, uh, the ACO 
uh, sort of representative and they kind of got together and threw some ideas around they'd had the the, the 24 hour bold or motorcycle event the year before so there was that precedent there 24 yeah I'm not sure if it's recorded which one of them finally went yes we're going to do the 24 hour thing I think they weren't sure they'd get local permission but Le Mans uh, the Le Mans council if you like at the time was quite positive towards motorsport it already you know, we haven't even mentioned the fact if we're talking history the very first Grand Prix was held at Le Mans not at the track as we know it now but it, you know it, this is an and a long of, time before so uh, that just sort of absolutely. cements uh, Le Mans place in the history of motorsport uh, does it we're talking 1906 uh, you know. yeah I think it's the most significant venue in motorsport history first the first Grand Prix 1906 after the city city races have been abandoned mm. due to safety holds the uh, French Grand Prix after the war as well it's, it's where the Duesenberg team rock up in, in 21 so there's already a lot of history there there's the and scene of the song. first uh, powered flight in the uh, in Europe I yes, do believe yeah. was when it the, really when yeah. the Wright brothers brought Brought one of their yeah, nineteen oh eight. I want to say, yeah, eight, something like that. Like that. And yeah. there have been other long events, sometimes over two days, where they'd where they'd stop the, halfway and right, we'll come back tomorrow, boys. Yeah, well, the first Grand Prix was run over two days. Yeah, See you again tomorrow. So, so their long races, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, it wasn't unique in that respect. Mm. The double twelve at Brooklyn. The double twelve Brooklyn. Two, two yeah, and I think the first Barcelona Frows the year after. I think exactly. That was well, they so, jumped on the bandwagon. Yes, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but obviously, they yeah, there was various reasons for it. The the, the classic one is. To, to test test technology push that's how push, it was built of yeah course. yeah push, was it really? push braking it was built like that yeah to, actually not just the cars because in the early years they also used Le Mans to experiment with different surfaces so some a uh, couple of years they did different surfaces in the 20s to see how it would take the punishment of racing cars because obviously if it could take that and these racing cars were very specifically cars you can buy they were very keen to not have a load of Grand Prix cars Mm. this was a different event so you're almost inventing a new category like for example don't forget in some of the early years you had to run with the hood up soft top up for the first couple of laps that was in the rules yeah you had to erect it do yes. it and come back and bring it down and yeah yeah it was also it was some it, it had to be cars that were available so they wanted to push the technology of of, of the automobile forward and ancillaries and surfaces and you know it was it, yeah, but it, and it the, the interesting thing i was talking to to quentin spurring who's who's written a former autosport editor but also has written some of the history the official histories of it um and he, I said, oh, yeah, how quickly do you think it established itself as a major event? It's like pretty, pretty instantly, really. really? It didn't take a, they didn't actually award an overall winner until 1928. <laughs> so it started in 23. They started with a triennial award. And the biennial and, and the triennial. The biennial, and, yeah, and they went all three. Because the idea is, oh, if you finish the first year, you get to do it again next year. Yeah. You finish that one. You, and obviously they quickly <laughs> realised, well, that's a bit, we'll do the biennial one. But obviously, even at the time, the press yeah. reported on who, yeah, which yeah. car covered the most distance over the 24 hours. So reluctantly, I think the ACO in 1928 went, oh, right, we'll have a, we'll have a Coupe de Durance or whatever they called it. And then there was an overall winner. So I suppose really we have to say that the 23 to 27 winners are unofficial. Official, they are unofficial, <laughs> um, yeah. So, but but I think it, it grew up very quickly. It did attract international. Okay, so start with it was very French. Yeah. It was basically the French and Bentley. Yeah. Uh, but... But it did grow, uh, yeah, fairly quickly. Some, you know, Americans came over. Um, obviously, Afromo getting on the act in the thirties, and it, it, you know, it, it grows pretty quickly. And as, as Gary says, you know, Spartan and Frows comes along. It kind of almost invents a new category because it's very much not Grand Prix cars. It's at this point where I'd say touring cars and sports cars are the same thing. Yes. They haven't yet separated. Mm. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And, and then you talked about the endurance of testing machinery and cars, even surfaces. What about people and the drivers? Anyone following it now will be used to seeing uh, multiple drivers in, in one car. What about the idea of putting drivers through such a long event? Well, I mean, some of them, uh, of course, in the early days, there were just two drivers per car. And yeah. well, not, not just in the early days, you know, we're, we're talking yeah. like into the 80s. Really? When the norm was two drivers. You know, and Derek Bell, five-time winner, legend of the event, always say, "Well, with the more sun straight, you know, four miles long, you, you have a bit of a bit of a time to relax at two hundred <laughs> miles an hour with a kink Relaxing, at the end." Yeah, that was that. that was a bit of a deep breath to take flat, sort of certainly in some some of the. Uh, perhaps earlier in his career perhaps probably not in a 956 or 962 but anyway it's an 80s thing for it to be free drivers really mm. uh, one driver there have been one driver uh, cruise I'm, I do believe the only driver to uh, complete it was a British guy in a Bentley post-war yeah uh, I think it Charles was Charles Hall yeah, but I mean, obviously the more, yes, but which is amazing actually, isn't it? I mean, obviously Louis Rosier, when he won in 1950, 50. I think he did all but two, two laps. laps. The story is that his son got in for two laps while he had a couple of bananas as sustenance. Yeah, uh, Pierre, Pierre Levey got within about an hour, I think, of doing it solo, winning solo in 52. Right. And of course, when Raymond Sommer won in 1932, Two, Luigi Canetti had been taken ill during the race and only did two or three hours. So I think it's generally reckoned that Summer did twenty hours. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Um, and now, now these days, the the maximum, well, certainly a couple of years ago, the maximum drive one driver could do was fourteen hours. Uh, and there are also sort of rules within that of how many consecutive hours you could do. It used to be four hours; you couldn't do more than four hours in a row, and then you'd have to have a certain amount of time out of the car because it's not an issue really these days I haven't checked the sporting mm. rules but it will be in there somewhere but remember it's not just an endurance for the drivers and the cars it's all the crews as well you know the mechanics that are having to do all the pit stops you know especially in a close race in their 23rd hour the last pit stop you need to be able to not cross thread the wheel nut and get the fuel in and you know it's the whole team you know they've been there a, a, you know a week scrutineering happens a week you know, well let's week talk before, about that or the test day yes you know. well there's a great tradition which sort of uh, differentiates Le Mans from your Grand Prix, your average Grand Prix, or most other motor races. The scrutineering takes place in the centre of the city. It it always has done, um, 
and apart from one or two of the covid years as a sort of you know right for its history it's taken place a couple of different uh squares it's been in when i first when it was the place de jacobin which was underneath the gorgeous gothic cathedral in the city center now it's i think it's the place de republique uh which is sort of up the hill but not not far away you know and it and the, these are events where the cars turn up here in the city uh there's lots of fans the team have their photograph taken in front of the car you know and that's that's a sort of a significant uh shot isn't it for for Le Mans each year of the of the drivers with the team crew with the crew the cars uh, so yeah, it's, it's just it's just different, isn't it? And what about the drivers over the years? Because uh, there are some drivers that are famous for being Le Mans drivers. There are other names that our listeners will know because they were great racing drivers, Formula One or Grand Prix drivers, or even other categories. But what about where those early drivers came from? Where did where did they get sourced from? Well, some of them would have been obviously just privateer, you know, doing it. Some of them were representatives of their, of their the manufacturer that was. I wouldn't call them professional racing drivers necessarily. Mm, yeah. uh, um, I, that's only really just becoming a thing in the 20s in Grand Prix racing, never mind this sort of... <laughs> uh, then you've got someone like, I say, Wolf Bonato. He, um, you know, he inherited lots of money, tried various things. He was one of Bought those, Bentley. Bought, but yeah. But <laughs> he saw, saw Bentley's performance at the morning in 1924 when they, when they unofficially won. Went, oh, I fancy that. Bentley was always in financial trouble anyway. Yeah. He, he went, well, I'm going to spend some of my inheritance on this. And I quite fancy a go at this motor racing. Brilliant. Car. And he was one of these sort of annoying people that was seems to have been good or whatever he tries. He played county cricket amongst, yeah. <laughs> other, amongst other sports so, that he excelled at. So his patience was already proved, <laughs> yeah. Um and uh and so he he went right oh, well I'm gonna I'm gonna go and do this and he you know he entered the race th- three times and, and won it all three on all three occasions. And he won it. Yeah all three occasions yeah he was in the winning car on the three times he did oh that's very good. So well, maybe, I, I guess maybe, in the maybe 30s maybe. you start to see more of what you say, uh, consider okay. the top Grand Prix drivers. Yes. Tuxio well, the motor industry was developing, yeah. you know, motorsport became more important as a way of promoting. Mm. So they retained the best drivers, you know. And they would have them on the payroll to only drive for them in those in those eras? Well, I guess if you look at some of the guys, you know, say Nuvolari at Alfa Romeo or whatever, you know, I'm sure he was paid well yeah. for the but, time. But even in yeah. the even in the Alfa days, a lot of them were private entries. So well, Sommer, the, of course, won his first Le Mans with his own car, didn't he? And yeah. then got hauled into the works. Yeah, yeah. So we're in that. We're in a very early fledgling period where, in motorsport generally, like we talked about mm. in the pre-war Grand Prix, but obviously this is slightly. Yeah, it's not so established yet. So, yeah. but it's. I guess probably by the end of the by the end of the thirties, you know, you've got uh, you've got a significant works like Bugatti, for example. Well, we had, we had. Some drivers on the payroll of the German state, of course, by the end yeah, of the certainly in Grand Prix racing. Yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, let's talk a little bit about why Le Mans is the greatest race in terms of the fan experience and the atmosphere. Gary, what makes this just so different to many other events you can go to as a fan? When I first went to Le Mans as a, as a young whippersnapper journalist, I remember I was a big Le Mans fan growing up, reading about it. But I, I wouldn't necessarily say... I was more of a Le Mans fan than I was a Formula One fan or a Formula Two fan, and then Formula Three Thousand. You know, I, I had a, I had and have always had a very wide interest. You know, I love club racing. I was born down the road from Brands Hatch. I, the Formula Ford Festival for many years was my uh, favourite event of the year. Uh, so I've always had a sort of um, 
a Catholic outlook on <laughs> on motor racing. But I was very interested in Le Mans, and I love reading the tales about it. And I, I just, I always remember, and I, 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 I thought about this uh, the other day. Um, In 1982, there was a BBC documentary about Le Mans. It was a sort of fly-on-the-wall thing. It was actually filmed at the 91, at the 81 race, and and it focuses on Alain de Cadenet as the sort of uh, as the sort of happy-go-lucky privateer, and as Guy Edwards, the hard-nosed. hard-nosed sort of commercial racing driver and you know he was Mr Sponsorship wasn't he Guy Edwards did lots of uh, lots of deals over many years in Formula 1 and in sports cars he he did the Silk Cup deal for for the TWR Jaguars uh, for example and it it juxtaposes the two and I just remember watching that TV programme all those years ago and it recently reappeared on iPlayer and I watched it but it's just brilliant, and it just it just it did actually make me think, ah, Le Mans it is something a bit different. And one of my favourite bits in it, when uh, De Cadenet, you know, who who lived in a muse house in uh, Kensington and was the sort of yeah, he was half French and he flew Spitfires uh, and that kind of thing. And he goes, yes, I, I think uh, uh, Guy is a good guy. To, talking about uh, Guy Edwards. Yeah, I think he's a good bloke. Uh, I don't know whether he knows the difference between uh, a burgundy and a fine Bordeaux, but uh, <laughs> I, do, I do get on with him. <laughs> but anyway, that, that sort of... That, that, um, that TV programme, that short film, uh, sort of told me a lot about Le Mans and, mm. and made me understand that it was a very different motor race to the Grand Prix I'd been to uh, here at Brands Hatch and at Silverstone. But it wasn't until I actually went to Le Mans for the first time in 1990 that I understood how different it was, how big of an event it was. Uh, yeah, I just I wasn't really prepared for it. Yes, I knew it was something different, but yeah, it was just it it was mind blowing. And it's funny enough talking to guys uh, drivers who've been there for the first time, particularly sort of, you know, Formula 1 drivers who are coming to the end of their careers and sometimes you think, oh, well, they pitch up at Le Mans because they haven't got a Formula 1 drive anymore. They're topping up their pensions or whatever. And they get there and they sort of, oh, yeah, they're just, yeah it's just another race. And then they go, blimey, you know, and it really, I think it probably motivates them. I, I, one driver like that was Mika Salo, who was sort of, um, you know, he, if you remember, he first did uh, Le Mans in a... Uh, an Audi Sport UK uh, entry run by, uh, I'm going to say it's run by Arena, wasn't it, in uh, 2003. And, and, you know, he was he was the big name, big money signing. And I remember talking to him and thinking, he's not really interested about this. But he kept going back to Le Mans year, year after year. And he, and he grew to came to love it and I don't, don't think he sort of when he first went there understood what it was all about but it just blew him away as a fan do you go for just the 24 hours do you go for a few days do you go for a week or two weeks um, and then what's that like with racing in the middle of the night do, do the fans try and stay up do I know that Gary uh, you, occasionally you try and get a little <laughs> bit of sleep at times because you're always you're, I'm wor- afraid. you're working but what's the fan experience like well, I can speak for my dad, who went as a as a spectator, and he some of he, <laughs> some of the things he experienced. <laughs> uh, so, if you want to sleep all the night through, I mean, don't be on the campsites. 
uh, because there will be parties it's and drinking. Party. And I think one tent had something literally driven through it at one point. So it was quite a, you know, certain nationalities get really heavily into their yeah. drinking and partying. Um, but I think it's a mix of people, isn't it? Some, yeah, yeah. You're going to have diehards, you're going to have <coughs> drunkards, people in between. I, I remember a friend, <laughs> a friend of mine once went to Le Mans dressed in his work suit he worked in the city a friend of his uh said he was a friend of his said he was going to Le Mans on a coach trip so he said oh that sounds quite interesting so he booked a ticket walked out of his office got on a coach and went to Le Mans <laughs> in his suit so you know I think it takes all sorts but you know you have got diehard fans you've got people who go back years and years you've probably got lads out on the lash absolutely you, know, you, you, you stag parties yeah, it's, it's, why it's not they have everything but and actually I think that also touches on why it's the, the great event that it is uh as well as attracting a wide variety of fans, think of it as from the competitor's point of view as well. If you're an aspiring aspiring amateur driver, maybe you go GT racing, maybe you get to British GT, etc. Are you going to get to Formula 1 and race at the Monaco Grand Prix? No, you're not. Are you going to get to the Indy 500? Probably not. That's not so much of a definite thing. But a lot of them say, oh, I want to well, I, I think it is today. Maybe you, not yeah, in the 80s when you could buy, buy a an old or March or whatever. You know, um, put a- but, but Le Mans is something that if you are a good amateur driver who sticks to the task gets the right people around them okay yeah of course you need money but you need money whatever you're doing in motorsport to do mm. it properly yeah you can get to the 24 hours and compete now that has its downsides because there have over the years there have been amateur drivers at the race who probably shouldn't have been who weren't good enough and actually going back to Mikasar, i was there in 2008 i think it was when he won the gt class gt2 he had a rant in the post. I went to the post-race conference thinking he'd be all right. And he had a rant about the, the quality of the drive, some of the amateurs in the LMP2 field. He's like, it's not the pros in the LMP1 cars that are the problem because they nail you and know when they're doing it. But he said some of the amateurs in the LMP2s, they'll just wander down the inside of you when you've already turned in, expecting you to somehow have a load of extra space. Yeah. Mm. So he was having, so it, it's a danger for the drivers, but I think for a, a times, or has been, but it it's kind of makes the event different to things like the Indy 500, the Monaco Grand, because I think they're probably the, the two we're going to be comparing it with, aren't they? Da- the Daytona 500 is very esoteric. It's very specifically NASCAR. Mm. I think most motorsport fans would say they're the, they're the big three. Yeah. And well, they are the triple crown, aren't they? They are. And Le, Le, Mans, is, Le Mans is just more accessible, uh, I would say, f- for both fans and competitors probably than the other two. And, the, and I think the, the key thing about all of the the three triple crown races is their age which is going back to the history thing you know they all date back to so uh, in the 1911 23 and then 1929 and yes, yes I have started a list for Monaco already yes but six yes. years ahead our next so yeah and they're, and they're also you know so they have the history but I think um, Monaco as as someone who isn't a big fan of roundy roundy turning left racing all the time as much as uh, as much as I as much as in the Indy 500 is on my bucket list to a witness whether as a fan but also to report on I, I would like to I would like to do that one day uh, but you know making, making a note of that yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're throwbacks aren't they you couldn't build an 8.47 mile track somewhere in France in, incorporating 50% of its uh, length being made up of uh, public roads you couldn't build that today you know and and get FIA homologation for it just as you couldn't 
build a street circuit like Monaco mm. in you know on 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 the Mediterranean in a small city state. You know you couldn't do that. I'm going to set Gary up for one of the key reasons why it's the great because I know we had a little mm. chat about this before because I think he's absolutely right about this. And that is the stories that, that Le Mans produces. Yeah, exactly. I, I yeah. In the context of the endurance challenge, your race and the event and your competitors. I'm going to let that be the world's greatest tease. Look at the time. Goodness, we need to take a break uh, because them's the rules. So we will uh, be back in just a moment with the reasons why the stories make Le Mans one of the greatest races. Stick around. All right, welcome back to the podcast. These are the reasons. Well, it's not even a set of reasons, really, because I've not made a list. But we are talking about why Le Mans is the greatest motorsport event in the world. Uh, Whether you are sitting down to watch it on your your TV, or follow it on your device, or jump in the car, or buy a bus ticket and go and spend some time there. And as uh, as we mentioned before the break... It's the stories, Gary. It's the, for you, it's the stories of um, over the years that, that, that can be told and retold that make this special. It's this race of endurance. And, you know, there's, there's tales of, you know, the fixes to get cast to the end. In one of our previous uh, podcasts, we were talking about the 1933 winning uh, Alfa Romeo. It's the chewing gum Alfa. The chewing yeah. gum uh, soap. Now I don't know if they were used in combination, uh, but anyway, I think I think maybe the chewing gum replaced the soap as a way of mending the uh, fuel. It sounds tank. more likely yeah, the chewing you know, gum would be better. Was, you know, there's there's there, uh, even in my era, you know, clutches gone and cars being dropped off the jack in gear with the engine running, probably against the rules. But people would put uh, washing up liquid down on the track so the wheels didn't bind you know didn't grip and make the car stall you know just things like that and people say oh well that's that's Le Mans of old but it's not quite like that just two years ago at Le Mans uh, you might remember Toyota had all manner of problems with uh, the fuel filter being uh, being becoming clogged and and it was caused by a, a bizarre combination of grease from the refueling nozzle uh, a venting problem uh, with the tank which made the tank sort of semi-collapse and so they were getting sort of polyurethane particles that with the grease were blocking the filter and basically the stint length was going down and down and down and, and basically they, weren't, they had the fastest car but they weren't going to win the race but they came up with a number of fixes well in the old the old days the fixes were sort of mechanical now now the fixes are a bit you know more more electronic and sort of plucked out of plucked out of the air and they came up with well one of one of the fixes was just turning the engine on and off so that somehow the it 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 freed up uh, the fuel and it's just and it, and that is just a great human story like the old stories of old of people chewing gum to to block a hole in a fuel tank but I, and i think that the reason that motorsport is the greatest sport in the world is because it's a mix of human and technical and le mans pushes both to the extremes and creates both brilliant human stories and these technical fixes you know there are so many you know the 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 failure you know there's, there's the heartbreak with 2016 finish there's the heroic comebacks like x in 77 there's you know there's all sorts of you know bodges fixes people thwarted at the last people making it it's just it is it's it's it distills for me what is the best 
you know, of, of motorsport into into one place with this conti- you know, almost continuous continuous history. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases. In terms of the endurance of the cars, that's one of the things that I find most interesting is that Toyota know how to build a fuel in this example in a case a fuel tank unless it's a, a, a spec part they have to buy in uh, you know they know how to refuel a car toyota it's not their first fuel filter uh, rodeo but for, in some way you bring all these together and you've got the world's biggest car makers the world's biggest marks and sometimes that's private teams running those cars or whatever struggling and in other sports we see uh, less of that or in other forms of motorsport we see less of that and i think that's interesting as well in that uh, like all these companies know how to build a car so a great road car sometimes and a great sports car sometimes as well but then you have to do that for 24 hours lap in lap out at maximum speed and i think that what's what people find interesting as well is that it actually really stretches these companies these engineering departments who on a, on another day have it all covered off we'll go back to uh one of the races we were talking about uh in one of our other podcasts uh le mans 2010 when peugeot had the fastest car in the 908 but they'd introduced new titanium uh con rods that gave them an advantage they tested them through a series of extreme endurance simulations mostly at paul ricard i'm sure when they generally you know would go 30 hours or or perhaps beyond but they were caught out because le mans that year there was no rain relatively few safety cars uh, off the top of my head just four short safety cars so it actually pushed the engine out of the range to what what it had been tested to for these these new conrods mm. so it just shows you that just little things can happen that just sort of take a manufacturer out of its its comfort zone if you like or the the zone in from which the 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 parts have been validated mm. and that's the point isn't it that's the point of the race is to do the very first one of the very first points points of the concept was to push technology to the limit so that you improve it and actually i would say that le mans has a very good history in terms of forwarding on automotive technology i mean not the disc brakes is the you know is the famous one but you know you got a turbocharged winner at le mans before you got a turbocharged winner in in formula one yeah there are lots of you know, you know turbo gas diesels turbine. hybrids gas, mm. gas turbines in 63 i think yeah. the first one so you know it's and also i think this is almost a question for gary i was just trying to think when did le mans go from being a look after the car uh, and sort of win at the slowest possible speed to a flat out race. Uh, there are various points along the way. So I think been- yeah, there's. I think you're right. It's a road because some people say it. Ah, uh, some people say it was a Porsche nine five six nine six two. Some people say it was the Audi R eight. But then you know, Henri Pescarolo will tell you that they drove those mattress flat out and they could because they'd been pounding around Ricards doing twenty four hour tests or tests in excess of 24 hours so i think there are sort of certain staging posts but i think you know over time uh i think it's 
you know, because of the way cars are designed and manufactured now, the, the tolerances are much uh, more refined. Oh, the quality control is much quality, better, isn't exactly. It? So you don't get those. Yeah, so I just think cars can be pushed to the limit more. You know, Le Mans has become a sprint race. Was it, I, I can't tell you because I wasn't there in 1972, 73 or 74 with the Matras. Was it a sprint race? I <laughs> No, not in the same way as it is today. In 72 and 74, I don't think... 72, they had that their prescribed speed that Graham Hill ignored when it was winning. Yes, yeah. And 74, they didn't really have any opposition. But 73, I can imagine some of the crews, at least, yeah. driving a flat chat. But yeah, I mean, there have been trouble-free runs as well, haven't they? I don't think... Ix and Bell, for example, I don't think had any significant problem in 81 with the 936. No. But obviously, they wouldn't have been driving flat out. That would have been yeah. pointless. So, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one to... Some of the Group C battles were very hard but obviously mm. they had a fuel formula so they were flat out Good within point. the yeah. constraints of yeah. that I think probably mm. the, the high tech era so from, if you go from sort of Audi R8 I think kind of some of those races were flat chat weren't they I think well, your reports often said you know the, there was nothing between in the two there was nothing between cars XYZ but, the, but car X spent the least time in the pits and therefore won I think if you look so evenly matched on mm. pace certainly if you look for me the one that I remember as sort of being pretty flat chat was actually the sort of the the battle between uh, two sort of works backed rather than overt works teams in in 04 when it was team go against Velox and I remember that as being you know a flat chat battle I think the 03 Bentleys were, were pretty well they drove hard you know even well, though they yeah. didn't have even um, though they were going to win the race we, we had a brief and obviously the 2011 is that the race well yeah the, 2011 the, you know which is I, one I, of the great Le Mans. I, I think hybrids for a while reinvented unreliability at Le Mans. Uh, I mean, okay, also, yes. especially in 2017, it was yeah, know, yeah. It was chaos, wasn't it? And, and there's one surviving Porsche managed to catch the LMP2 cars. But yeah, generally it's been a move. Although, funnily enough, the, the Le Mans with the best, uh, I think, the best reliability in terms of percentage of finishes to starters is 1923. Is that right? 30 out of 33 cars finished. So uh, maybe maybe it's all been pointless. We've had a hundred years yeah. and not got anywhere. But I mean, obviously, they're covering much greater distances now. I'm actually doing a piece for for the magazine in a few weeks that will do a, a distance and speed comparison across time with a, with a graph, and it should be uh, that should be quite fun for the sort of anoraks. And in terms of how the race is covered, obviously uh, we've got a fair bit of skin in that game, uh, but also in terms of how uh, the, the build-up to it is reported and how, as a fan watching it, whether you're at the event and what the commentary is like at the event or modern technology keeping up to date, or for the lighter fan or someone like myself who doesn't you know, not travel to Le Mans but will watch it um, in terms of how it's communicated, um, what are the ways that the fans can get in, involved with following Le Mans that make it more exciting than... Or how much of it are you going to watch? How much of your life are you going to commit to this one sporting event? Well, I think that comes back to Gary's point about it's different horses for different courses, isn't it? Or the other way around. Yeah. Um, it depends how into it you want to get. I would say if you want to follow the race, you need to get a timing screen, whether you're there or you're at home. Mm. I mean, I remember in I was watching it, I was watching my dad's place actually in 2001, when uh, that was the yeah that so that with the LMT two battle, mm. which um, no no shade on this because I know commentating on twenty four hour race is hard, but it was completely not picked up on the commentary. So if you were just watching the 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 the, the, the feed TV mm. feed, you wouldn't have the clue, a clue. But if you were watching the timing screens alongside, 
and you started doing some s- simple maths, you yeah. go, this is going to be really close to second in LMP2. This could get interesting. Yeah. Which, of course, on the last lap came t- to be the, w- the win. Yes. And it was seven tenths across, setting across the line and... Uh, the the winning car almost took out the flag man yes um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah there are lots of ways of following it if you're yeah, big screens if you're there yep. feed also autosport.com will have a live commentary which will be updated by both people on the news desk and people at the event such as Gary feeding back what they're finding out yeah. I do think if you want to fully understand the races it's happening you probably do need to do that but you might just want to go along and watch the cars go past because it's really cool I've had I think I said before I've had three oh my god moments when I've been spectating a motorsport event one was watching the Ferraris through Mags and Beckett's uh, the British Grand Prix the direction change was ridiculous mm. another one was seeing top field dragsters leave the line at Santa Pod which redefines what you think physics can do you know how physics work and the other one was seeing the LMP1 cars at the Mon where were just, you watching just to have interest well the first funny enough the first bit was just into the curve before the Dunlop chicane oh okay just the one when the first Peugeot arrived in 2008 I went oh my god because it arrived so fast yeah. and that's not even the coolest part of the track <laughs> you know? yeah. there are plenty of good I yeah. mean the run down from I think they've blocked Last time I was there, you couldn't view very well uh, from Arnage across to the entry into Indianapolis. There was there was some sort of safety something. Ah, well, now you couldn't see um, it very well. Now it's even better because they've extended the viewing banking there. Oh. Since there was a bit of a uh, bit of roadwork, so there's a roundabout, and it's it. And if any of our listeners uh, are going, I would I would advise you, you to get down to Arnage. Uh, so you can watch it on Arge, then look at the left at Indianapolis and then the quick right that leads into Indianapolis, which I call the right at Indianapolis. Some people will correct me and say only the left is Indianapolis. But anyway, it's all part of a sequence and that is that is just a great place oh, to watch. And they arrive so fast, yeah. the quick cars. So you get to see the cars performing at their best and then you see, obviously you get to see them a bit more properly if you want to do a lap chart, if you're that way inclined, at Arnage because they're a bit slow. And actually Arnage is quite often the place that people make small mistakes yeah, yeah, which, because it's a really tricky, fiddly corner yeah. and tight. Um, so people quite often get their braking wrong there so as just well. Talk, you, you mentioned the term uh, build-up, Martin, and, and that is something that I think distinguishes Le Mans from other races. It's interesting listening to F1 drivers complaining at Miami that they had to do this and do that on the grid. And I thought, well, you should try going to Le Mans, mate, you know, because the build-up to Le Mans seems to go on forever, doesn't it? You know, the cars are lined up echelon style uh, on the front straight a, a few hours before. There's the sort of, the drivers go up on, you know, open top cars up as far as, I think, Turk Rouge, waving to the fans. And then don't forget, there's the parade in the city on the Friday night that uh, I think is mandatory for the drivers or you need a bloody good excuse uh, to get out of it. So, you know... Th- th- build-up is is important and you know and testing well obviously there's the test day the weekend before tradition well i'm not going to say i was going i was going to say traditionally it was two weekends before well actually traditionally it was it was at the end of april and sometimes even before that and before that there wasn't one (laughs) well well, no the 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 history of the test day is a bit sort of stop start and sporadic but when it was rein when it came back in 90 free it was end of april sometimes it might have been the first weekend of may it stayed there one year in sort of recession times it disappeared then middle noughties it got moved to two week two weekends before that's where it stayed until covid one year the first year in covid we didn't have a test day the next year we did and now it's moved full time 
to the weekend before the race you know and it's all about um well saving money you know people don't have to be in Le Mans for two weeks now you know because some some members of the team would be there well for more than two weeks it's a pain know. for us though because it makes our team by team uh, pictures more difficult yes but, uh, but uh, actually you you're it's because it's such an event on the run up to it you know you can't often go over there mm. let's say you go over there on the Tuesday or the Wednesday you've got mm. Wednesday night qualifying Thursday night qualifying Friday parade maybe support race Saturday morning they sometimes have a historic race that's always quite good fun by the time you get to Saturday afternoon you think it's been quite a <laughs> quite busy quite a, yeah. oh now the race oh, now here we go uh, and that's and it, so you do you're absolutely like, when I was you know I haven't covered it anything like as many times as, as, as Gary but after you've done a 24 hour race you always think your initial thing I was on a Sunday night oh now I've got to do all the writing and get back yeah. in for press down the Monday it's a stupid idea yeah. and then by the Wednesday Thursday you go that was really cool I yeah, I'm going to do it again next year yeah. and, and because it's an annual event again that's what makes it special and go- no, many events are annual there's something more special about this one being a one-off does that make sense it can be mega even if it's not close even it, if you know who's going to win just like, look at the it, interest that we've had uh, online in the last couple of 24 hours when Toyota have had no opposition really you know who's going like, to win you know they're yeah. going to win which ones are going to win don't know and obviously Gary's talked about their yeah, there are still interesting stories to come out of it if they yeah. have problems this year I don't know who's going to win Toyota probably should win but yeah. we've got a lot more yeah there's going to be a lot more, more interest in it but actually that touched on the, the last thing I want to say for what is the, the greatest race in the world I, and this is completely subjective of course but the cars for me sports cars are the coolest racing cars in the world I like closed wheels I like roofs preferably mm. there are some open top cars I'll, I'll, I'll go with the Aston Martin DBR1 I think it's a pretty classic looking car Jaguar detail that sort of stuff mm. even the A442 B Alpine that won in 78 mm. was quite a, it wasn't pretty but it was but, an um, interesting that bubble it's a little half, 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 half open half. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the cars look great you know if you've not got uh, if you've not got a, you know you can Races can be interesting for different reasons. So Formula Ford is interesting because it's slipstream and it's overtaken all the time. But it's proper big end sports cars. You know, if you get an ace, like let's say Handstuck with a boost turned up on the 962 just going around on his own, that's just cool. It looks mm. mega. It's a mega driver and a mega piece of kit on the limit on a th- proper fast racetrack. And that, mm. that's just mega, whether yeah. it's a close mm. race or not. Yeah. yeah I, I enjoy going out on track and just seeing the cars. But I also... You know, we were talking about the stories. I think that's really important, the stories that Le Mans creates. And obviously, a 24-hour race is, by definition, going to create more storylines than a two-hour Grand Prix. But, yeah, for me, that's why it is, Mm. you know, the greatest motor motor race in the world. That'll be our podcast for today. We wanted to bring you something to kind of fill that gap which if you're listening to this as soon as we publish we are still waiting for the the race to start but hopefully if you've enjoyed Le Mans this year and you're catching up in your podcast feed a day or two or a week later I think everything we said still applies actually and uh, thank you very much for um, listening to that one thank you as always to the team at Brands Hatch for inviting us down here so we can all get together in the same place at the same time and record these these kind of podcasts and you can find out what all the stuff they've got on at brandshatch.co.uk whether it's uh, uh, some uh, some uh, American stuff the American speed fest that maybe you're interested in or like as we said at the beginning of the show uh, when we'll be here a little bit later in the year to do some some live podcasts back on the stage but lots of reasons to come down here to Brands Hatch to watch some racing thank you as always to the team for inviting us down so we can uh, we can use one of their spare meeting rooms well that's our podcast for today Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. 
Sports Social Podcast Network.